a lot of blood, sweat, and tears in those 16 years. And 16 years ago, I um, pulled over on the side of Sunset Cliffs and asked her if she would be my girlfriend. <laughs> this is our dating anniversary. The wedding anniversary is in January. Um, and I'll tell you what, over those years, uh, as you guys know, if you've been in a relationship for any length of time, there are uh, broken places and there are blessed places. There are moments where you're on the mountain and the doves are flying and, you know, it seems like all of nature is singing and then there are the dry deserts of relationships. And have you, have you guys experienced some of that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You have to keep choosing to opt in. You have to keep choosing to tell somebody in all these different terrains of life how much you love them. And that's, that's not always the easiest of tasks, but I, I'll tell you what, she's done a really good job reminding me how much she loves me. And I've never, I've never loved her more. Never loved her more. I'm so thankful for, for my wife, and I'm getting gooey inside thinking about it. And trying to score brownie points when she listens to the podcast as well. <laughs> but um, the reason I bring that up is because I think it's the same way in our walk with Christ, that through the years of journeying in a relationship with God, we go through different times, different seasons, different terrains. And the most important thing that can happen during that time is that no matter what's going on out there and no matter what's going on in here, that above all the voices and all the distractions of life, we can hear that still small voice that says, you are my beloved son or daughter. On you, my favor rests. And that's, that's a hard thing to claim in this world because there's a lot of things in our world today that pull at our attention and try to claim our identity, right? That, that, like we talked about last week a bit, that the, the things that try to lift their voices up and say, you are what you do, or you are what you have, or you are what other people say about you. That's your identity. And above all those loud, ruckus voices in the busyness of life, we have to find that, that quiet place where the Father speaks over us and says, you're my beloved daughter. You're my beloved son. My favor rests on you. And so today, that... That's something I think I, I, during this last sabbatical that I felt like God kept washing over me and reminding me of. And it's something that I felt led to just lead us even deeper into today than we went last week. And that's the, the real truth that Jesus announces that we are the beloved child of God. Last week we talked about how Jesus wades into the waters of baptism. And as he's baptized, the father speaks over him thunderously. You are my beloved son. I'm well pleased with you. And that's, that's before he's done anything in ministry to prove himself to God. God just says, I love you because you're my son. And then the spirit of God whisks him away from the waters to the wilderness. And there he's tempted and he's tried. And Satan, the enemy, comes and tempts him. Right? And all the things that could be like distractions and other voices that would be loud when he went into his ministry got stripped away slowly 
And he was emptied out of all those other things and, and what was left, what he was filled up with was the love of a father who's well pleased with him, not because of what he does, but because of who he is. And only in that moment does he step out into ministry and he walks down to the towns and he starts to preach the gospel and he starts to heal and he starts to cast out demons. And it's met with a mixed response, right? Some people believe, they say that's the Messiah and other people are like, ah. Some people mock him. Some people denounce him. They try to kill him. First, imagine your first weekend in ministry. They lead you up to, up to the top of a hill to like throw you off and kill you. That's what Jesus was met with. And then we see at the end of that, that, that day, that, that stretch of ministry, as he's been berated, as his identity has been attacked, as all the voices of the world come back over him and say, again, you are what you do. You are what you have. You are what others say about you. He gets alone again in a desolate place. And here's the voice of the father and connects with him. You are my beloved son. On you, my favor rests. And my prayer today, if you walk away with nothing else, is that you would hear the voice of the father spoken over you. You are beloved daughter, son. I'm well pleased with you. But today I want to ask a question. And that is, what's it mean to live as the beloved? Like in all these different terrains of life, as the good and the bad comes, and the blessing and the brokenness, and and the mountaintops and the wilderness, like what does it mean for you to live as the beloved? And what we saw in this passage was Jesus takes bread. And he blesses it. And he breaks it. And he gives it. It's like a visual metaphor we see over and over throughout his ministry. Remember the Last Supper right before he goes to the cross? And he says, every time you take this, remember me. Remember my life broken for you. And he he takes the bread and he blesses it and he breaks it. And he gives it. And after his crucifixion, as he's walking on the road to Emmaus, and everybody's lost hope, and his disciples think he's dead, he's gone, they don't even know he's risen again. And he meets two disciples who don't even recognize him. And he turns into a town, into an inn with them, and he sits by the fire, and he talks with them, and he opens their understanding to the scriptures, and he takes bread, and he blesses it, and he breaks it, and he gives it. And in that moment, they recognize that's the master. That's the one. That's, and, they're, and then he's gone, right? Immediately. Like Kaiser Soze. <laughs> he's gone. The same four words we see over and over Jesus bringing out in his teaching, they characterized Jesus' life, a life that was taken by God, a life that was blessed by God, a life that was broken on the cross and a life that was given to the world. And those same four words characterize our life as the beloved. 
if you can actually claim this truth that you are the beloved of God, those same four words speak over you, that you are taken, that you've been blessed, that your life is one to be broken and given for the world. And if you can go through life claiming this, the world will see Christ in you. What does it mean to be taken, blessed, broken, and given? That's what I want to talk about today. Briefly, it's going to be a 20,000-mile flyover. Each one of those thoughts could be a sermon, maybe a series in itself, so we can't dip deep into each, uh, each of the thoughts. We're just going to move really quickly. Are you guys ready? Yeah. All right, cool. Taken. What's that word? It's not just Liam Neeson's movies. <laughs> That word, I think for us, a better word that we could use in this context would be chosen. Do you believe that you're chosen? That from before time, God saw you and chose you and set his love upon you? Do you believe that about yourself? to be chosen, to be, to be unique, to be a unique part of the story that God is telling. Do you believe that? Because I feel like that's one of the hardest things to claim in our world. Like, I, and maybe we believe it as kids. You know, we kind of like, I'm a promise. I am a possibility. I am a promise. You guys remember that? <laughs> and then the world just jacks that all up, right? And we start believing we are what we do, we are what we have, we are what others say about us. And, you know, my wife was reminding me that Korean moms say, eat lots of kimchi, and one day you'll be a beautiful wife for someone, right? Ouch. <laughs> or advertisements say, this Corolla can be yours. 275 a month for a seven-year lease, right? You're like, it's a Corolla. Yeah, I don't want to... No offense if you drive a Corolla. I, I love Toyota. <laughs> Get this shampoo and the frizz is gone. Right? Or eat this food. And we start to believe that we are what everybody says about us. We try to blend in. Have you guys found that? Start to be cynical about the thought that maybe uniqueness exists. And I think we all identify with that because... Um, one of my favorite books, Fight Club, Chuck Palahniuk, maybe you've seen the movie. It's one of those few, few like, movies that the book is actually um, just as good as the movie, not way better, right? They did a good job on, okay, anyway. Um, I'm not a movie critic, I'm a preacher. So, um, Fight Club, and in, in Fight Club, Chuck Palahniuk says this line when they're recruiting people to the Fight Club. He says this, um, you are not special, you're not a beautiful, unique snowflake. You're the same decaying organic matter as everything else. We're all part of the same compost heap. We're all singing, all dancing crap of the world. You're a promise. You're a possibility. No, you're not. You got these voices at war. What's true? And I think what's cool is that scripture would have a bone to pick with Fight Club. Like if scripture hopped in the ring with Fight Club, right? Paul versus Palinuk. In Ephesians 1, we catch a glimpse of this. Look at, look at what Paul says. 
as the scripture challenges that like nihilistic and cynical point of view, right? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us before the foundation of the world that we should be holy, blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace in which he has blessed us in the beloved. Right, and it just goes on and on. Verse 11, we, we have obtained an inheritance, right? You see that God from all eternity says, you're chosen, you're special, you're unique. I love you, I've set my affection upon you. You're special in my eyes. How hard is it for you to actually buy that for yourself? Because the first point I would say today is that we have to hear that voice above all the other voices of our culture and our world. Our chosenness is hard for us to grasp, I think for a couple of reasons. One, because we struggle to understand what chosen means for us. One of the words Paul uses in Ephesians there, Ephesians chapter one is the word adopted. And I love that word when it comes to our chosenness. Um, I think, but most of us may not relate to it because when, when it comes to adoption, you choose who you're adopting, who you're bringing home with you. Some of us here may have been adopted, but many of us here were probably just born to a normal family. And when you're born to a normal family, you know, they just kind of bring you home from the hospital and what, 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 you, what you see is what you get, you know? I'll never forget, um, like, when Ga- Gavin was born, my la- latest one, um, he's so cute, man. He's filled out now. Like, I love that kid so much, but um, I'll never forget that moment when he was born. And um, like you see those pictures of kids like two weeks after they're born and they're so picture perfect, the cutest little kids in the world. But when Gavin was born <laughs> and he popped out of mama and I looked down, I went, <clears throat> like, <laughs> because he looked like a wet, wrinkled alien rat covered in hair and just white. And I was like, ah, like put him back in, like let him develop more, you know, just... <laughs> Something needs to happen here. Something's not right. And they took him and they put him under the heat lamp and like whatever they do in the, in the red room where the photos develop and they like, <laughs> and, and all of a sudden like his skin turned pink and, and like within a few minutes, he was the most cute kid, although a little hairier than I expected. Hairy shoulders. We almost changed his name to Esau. It's just, <laughs> um, but he's so cute, man. He's filled out now. But in that moment, I was like, ah, well, we're going to love him. You know? <laughs> we're going to love him, no matter what. My point is, you don't, get to, you don't get to choose who's born into your family. But when it comes to adoption, you know, you see in the movies, kids like writing up their resume, you know, and like getting their suit and tie ready and showing up to meet the parents and you know, hoping that in this line of children they can go home with some parents and, you know, they've got their resume already. And parents get to choose. And actually, it's, it's not even that way with God because we show up with our resume and he's seen our rap sheet. And he knows everything. All the stuff that we would hide from our Facebook profile and all the stuff that... And yet he still chose us. He adopted us. He knows everything about you. Just imagine an experiment, if you will, where 
this podium was transformed into a futuristic device and everybody that came and stood up here on the screen behind them, you could see every thought that they'd thought in the last month. And everything they'd said in private and everything they'd done, and all of a sudden it's projected up here for public scrutiny. Like if I was standing up here right now and that happened, I bet some of y'all would be super judgy. You guys would be sitting there like, oh, Pastor Vince. Mm. Right? And then we'd be like, all right, it's your turn. Oh, heck no, right? <laughs> Imagine a scenario where we all ended up having to take our turn and walk up here. And now we're sitting around in this room kind of nervously looking around, seeing as we are without any covering and seeing everybody else's stuff. How would you, how would you deal with that? How would you feel in that moment? And you'd have this choice in that moment. If you saw everybody's brokenness and you saw your own brokenness, you'd have that choice to run the other way as fast as you can so you don't have to engage with everybody who's seen your stuff and with everybody whose stuff you've seen. Or you have the option to opt in. And see, seeing everything that you know about everybody else and trusting that they know everything about you, you have the option to choose to love them and to enter into life with them. That's, by the way, that's called grace. That's what grace is. Knowing everything about somebody and still loving them. That's what will get you to 16 years. Nancy's given me a lot of grace, right? That's called grace, the choice in spite of. And in the gospel, that's what we get. We get a father who knows us as we are and loves us as we are. He didn't just love you in spite of your sin. He loved you in your sin. When you were an enemy, he loved you and he chose you before the foundations of the world. Not just knowing what you had done, knowing what you would do. And that's so hard for us to claim in our world that someone could know us that much and still love us that profoundly. And because of that, what do we do? We, we lie and we hide and we cover up because somewhere down deep, we don't really believe that it's possible that knowing all of that, we could be chosen. Chosenness is a hard thing to claim. I just want to encourage you guys, take off the mask. Hey, it's sweaty under there, you know? It's miserable wearing the mask. Just take the mask off. The church is called to be a family of grace, not a family where we have all our stuff together. Right? We were talking about it earlier, right? It's not a country club for saints. It's a hospital for broken sinners. We can be honest. And that's where we receive healing. And so I want to encourage you in that. But also, number two, our chosenness is hard to claim because... Um, we struggle to understand God's abundance. You guys went to grade school, most of you, I assume, and you played dodgeball, and you either got picked or didn't, right? It's so brutal, isn't it? You're standing there, maybe you're the team captain, or maybe you're the first to get picked, or maybe you're the one who, after everybody else got picked, you're the one that like, fine, I'll take Bob. And you're like, Bob. You know, it's just miserable existence. And like there's people that are chosen and there's people that aren't, right? And there's, there's this whole thing in our society with awards, first place, second place, and participation, you know? <laughs> <laughs> 
Or there's, you got the promotion, so that means somebody else didn't. And that's, that's the world we live in. To be chosen, to be unique, means others are not. And it's not that way in God's kingdom because God's love isn't a limited commodity. God isn't running out of love. Right? In, in other words, if you believe you're chosen, God gives you eyes to see the chosenness of others. If you can embrace this truth that you are unique, it frees us to recognize the uniqueness of others and their uniqueness doesn't take away anything from my uniqueness. Are we tracking? That's such good news because it's so hard to claim in a world full of statistics where everybody's a number and a scarcity mentality world where there's not enough of any resource to go around. And yet, when we dare to claim that we are chosen of God, we create a community of people who begin to live together as the beloved sons and daughters of God, people who are more flawed and jacked up than we would dare admit, but at the same time are more loved and accepted than we can ever hope for. That's the community. So it means, number two, if you can live in that community and trust that you're chosen. Number two, you've been blessed. Now, word blessed in Latin is the word benediction. Have you guys heard that word? Benediction. Bene means good. Diction meaning speaking of, speaking about. Blessing literally meaning like speaking good of someone. In other words, God... God has blessed you. God is speaking good things about you. Speaking good things over you. Let's go back to Ephesians 1. It says that God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You know, instead of reading the whole thing again, just, I, I've got, I'm, I'm just going to pick through some of the things that Paul says about us that are true of us because of the gospel. I want you to hear this and ask yourself as you hear this, do I believe this about myself? You're chosen. You're adopted. You're predestined. You're blessed in the beloved. You're blameless before God. Blameless. You've been redeemed. You've been forgiven. The Father has lavished the riches of his grace upon us. We have an inheritance. We have a purpose. Think about that. You've been so blessed. Do you believe that about yourself? Let me ask you this. Do you believe that about other people? As you see people around this room, as you see people at your workplace, See people in your, in your gospel community on mission. See people as you go to school and as you pass by them on the street and you look at their clothes and you're tempted to do that thing we do in our world where we immediately assess their situation. Is that the first thing you see about them or do you see them how the Father sees them? To give a blessing is to affirm somebody's worth and dignity and and identity and, and their, their humanity and their belovedness. It's not just compliments. It's not just walking up to somebody. As somebody walked up to me this week, a guy in a coffee shop with a very burly beard walked up and he said, hey bro, that's a good looking beard. <laughs> I think it's the only thing guys are 
ready to compliment one another on. <laughs> the beard. I've never ha- had like a guy walk up to me and be like, dude, those jeans are tight. <laughs> no, actually, Thomas told me my jeans were tight. But that was different. I don't think it was a compliment. I think he was like, dude, the jeans are tight. I'm like, <laughs> you're pushing 35. You know, maybe, maybe wear some baggier jeans, dude. It's not just compliments. Bless, talking about somebody's blessedness, blessing them is speaking good of them, what's true of them. Have you guys experienced that when you sat around in a circle or in a group of people like sometimes we do in our gospel communities? And we'll, on mission, and we'll, we'll sit there and we'll talk and, and we'll say, you know what, man? I really see God at work in your life here. It's, when I watch this about you, I get so encouraged. And, and I see God really showing up in your life in this way. Do you speak that kind of truth over somebody? How often do you tell somebody how much you actually appreciate them, you love them, you're thankful for them? I've been in those circles and honestly, like, even our leader retreat last year, we did that. And I got so uncomfortable, right? And I wasn't uncomfortable to share the things that I saw in other people. That was exciting. Like, man, God, I was just exploring their life and thinking through memories. And like, ah, oh, just the, the scroll of photos was going through on my head. And I was like, man, God is showing up so many ways. And then they're like, Vince, it's your turn. And you sit there and people start saying good things about you. And you're like, I don't know how to respond with my face. You ever, anybody, you're not sure? Like, do I smile? Do I cry? Do I fake cry? What do I, you're so in your head, you can't even hear it. Can you hear the voice of the beloved one spoken over you? Are you in a community where people are seeing your life and able to speak truth of you? How they see God showing up. I've never been in one of those circles where I didn't see tears where I didn't see people hug and hold each other at the end and pray over each other. Why? Because we're starving for the blessing. We have so many other voices and distractions coming at us in our life that we're starving for somebody to notice the belovedness that is ours in Christ in us to say, I see God at work in your life. We need that. Do you have that place in your life? We're to claim the blessing and to bless others. That's what we're called to do. Wherever we go, even social media, you know? Sometimes I want to say, if you don't have anything good to say, just don't say anything. Say good things of people. See them as God sees them. Not through their works, but through His. And He can only begin to see the belovedness of others in spite of their issues. Once you accept that God sees you as his beloved in spite of your issues. I'm going to say that again. You can only start to see the belovedness of others in spite of their issues once you can believe and start to see that God sees you as his beloved in spite of your issues. It's not like that Julia Michaels song. You know that issues song that's on the radio right now? I've got issues. You've got them too. You guys know that song? Well, I'm going to quote lyrics from it whether you know it or not. All right, so... Here's, here's the bridge. She says, you don't judge me because if you did, baby, I would judge you too, right? And it's just like love song. The reason I don't judge you and the reason you don't judge me is because we would judge each other. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is I don't judge you 
because I've been so loved. I've been so loved in spite of my brokenness, in spite of my issues, that I'm free to love you in spite of your issues. So we've been taken, we've been blessed. And let me ask you this question. Actually, I have a slide up here. Just one question before we move to the third point. How would your relationships change if you began to bless and love others as you've been blessed and loved in Christ? How would they change? I want to challenge you to start thinking that way, moving that way in your life. Thirdly, we're, we're broken. And when I say broken, I'm talking about like the sin inside of us. I'm talking about the sin around us. All the brokenness in our world. The brokenness of whoever that is calling me right now. I'm preaching, all right? This world is broken because of sin. Our relationships, our addictions, our work ethic, our finances. If I ask myself, what's my biggest suffering? I think it always comes back to relational brokenness. That I feel like we all have broken hearts from our past, whether it's parents or or friends or loved ones, spouses, Wherever there's love, there, there, relationship, there's, there's pain. And somewhere people didn't love us the way we wanted to be loved. Somewhere we feel rejected, we feel abandoned, misunderstood, marginalized, lonely, and all these forms of brokenness. What, what do we do with that brokenness? Two things. Two things we do. Two words, I would say. And the first word is Embrace. Embrace your brokenness. As the beloved, embrace your brokenness. Don't deny your brokenness. Too many people in this world try to suppress it, try to ignore it, try to compartmentalize their brokenness, but Jesus calls, it to, calls us to face it. He says, there's no fear. Face your brokenness you're, because you're loved. Befriend your brokenness. Pull it close. Understand it. Look at it. Say, yes, I'm hurting. Yes, I'm, I'm wounded. Yes, it's painful, but I don't have to be afraid. I can look my pain right in the eyes because in a very mysterious way, our wounds are often a window into the deeper reality of our lives. And on sabbatical, that's one of the things I experienced as I looked at my life and I had time to stop and I had to think about my life and I started realizing, man, where did this issue sh- first show up in my life? Why do I do this? Why do I go to this thing? Why, what's going on in my heart? And you start tracking backward and start thinking about your story. You ever start thinking backward about your story, maybe in counseling or in prayer or on your own, and, and all of a sudden you get to a point where you're like, uh-uh. No, I'm not going there. That's too dark. That memory's too heavy. And I, I had a, like two or three of those times on sabbatical thinking back over my life, thinking back over vows I've made and and decisions I've made to not do things a certain way or thinking back over hurts that were done to me or thinking back over things that I've done to others. What do you do with that? I was, that's terrifying by the way, to face your brokenness. And I felt God just kind of lovingly grab me by the hand and say, hey, look, we're going there, but I've got you. I'm going to walk back with you to some of those dark places. You don't have to be afraid. You are loved. You are the beloved. You're accepted. If you can believe that, then you can face this. 
realize that my wounds are different than yours. My wounds are, they're my cross to bear. They're my things that I've dealt with. They're unique. Just like I'm unique, the wounds, my story are unique. The brokenness I carry is unique. Remember when Jesus says, take up your cross in in Luke 9, later on in this chapter that we just read, he says in verse 23, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily of follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. We, we each have our cross. And notice he doesn't say, make your cross or make somebody else's cross. He says, take up the cross that you have. Embrace your cross. See, it's mine. Listen, you'll never be happy. You'll never find true joy in this life if you live in denial of your brokenness. Oh, it's not so bad. Oh, for every dark cloud, there's a silver lining, you know? Man, that is not what the Christian faith says about trials and temptations. Christianity isn't so trite about it. It's not so dismissive about the pain. Oh, just, just look on the bright side. You know? That's chicken soup for the soul. That's not the gospel, okay? Christianity says we face our pain, we face our struggles, we face our brokenness, we look them in the face without fear because we know how loved we are and we know who's standing beside us as we look at our brokenness. Jesus says, take up your cross. If we dare to embrace our brokenness, then, number two, as the beloved, we can... We can lower our brokenness under our blessing. And I want to read a quote to you from this book called Life of the Beloved with Henry Nowen. This is what I'm saying. He says, quite often, we want to solve people's problems and fix them. We tell them, do this or do that to get over it. But the main task is not fixing. The main task we have is to put our brokenness and the brokenness of other people with whom we live under the blessing. If you live with your brokenness under the curse, even a little brokenness can destroy your life. That's so good. I mean, one, because don't you, don't you really strongly dislike it when you go to somebody with your issues and they just try to fix you? You guys ever been there? Here's my issue. Well, here's what you need to do. This is your problem. I'm like, dang, man, just ask me some questions. Sit with me in my mess for a minute. But number two, he says that we need to put our brokenness beneath our blessing. What's he talking about? I think I can explain it this way. Um, When things are going good for you in life, how do you feel? Feel blessed, right? Feel loved, happy. Everything's great. And then what happens when everything like hits the fan? Immediately, don't we start looking around for something to blame, someone to blame? Whose fault is this? What did I do to deserve this? God, where are you at? We start wondering whose fault it is. Why is there a curse? But the problem is we're putting our brokenness under the curse instead of under our blessing. Look, what happened? I, I lost my friend. Look what happened. They betrayed me. Look what happened. It all proves I'm no good. It all proves they're no good. It all proves God's no good. But Jesus calls us to do something else. Jesus calls us to take our brokenness and put it underneath our blessing, under the one who says, no, you're my beloved. 
on you my favor rests. To say, my blessedness is truer of me than my brokenness. That the love of God is stronger than the power of death at work in my life. That I'm blessed beyond measure. And what happens when we do that? Three things really quickly. When we put our brokenness under our blessing. You ever notice that verse about taking up the cross? What do we fixate on when you hear that word? That, that, that sentence? We hear the cross, right? We hear suffering, brokenness, agony. Take up all that. And it's almost like we skim over that second thing that Jesus says. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up their cross and what? Follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. We get so fixated on the suffering of the cross that we often completely miss out on the fellowship of the cross. When you take up your cross, you're not just embracing your cross, your brokenness, your struggle. You're entering into a profound fellowship with Jesus through it. When you suffer, God is near. You're not alone. Do you believe that? Paul says, or I'm sorry, Peter says it this way in 1 Peter 4. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering as if something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Participate in the sufferings of Christ. Jesus is with you in your brokenness. See, that's the gospel. The gospel is we remember every time we take communion and gather around that table on a Sunday that he is the bread that was broken for you. And why was he broken? It says for us. Right? Second Corinthians says, for our sake, God made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus was broken for our brokenness for our sin and our circumstances and, and our fallen hearts and our fallen world and all the brokenness in here and all the brokenness out there. That's why Jesus came and his body was broken. He, he entered into our suffering so that as we suffer, we could experience nearness with him and ultimately healing. Isaiah the prophet, hundreds of years before Christ said, that he was smitten by God, afflicted, wounded, crushed, that it was the will of God to crush him. Think about that. Just as this bread is made by crushing wheat, just as that wine is made by crushing grapes, Jesus was crushed so that we could have new life in him, so that we could, as we enter into suffering, we could participate in his life. So, a, we embrace the fellowship of the cross and we find Jesus there in our suffering. B, we experience profound inner healing. That's what Peter says later. In 1 Peter 1, he says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So, that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here's the deal. If you put your blessing under your brokenness, uh, wait, flip that. If you put your brokenness under your blessing, you'll find that your brokenness, your trials, your suffering can become a pruning. They can become a purifying process, just like gold 
in the fire. With every struggle, you're being healed more and more. And more and more, you're becoming holy. And more and more, like God, and more and more, you're starting to live in your identity as the beloved. As more and more things in the wilderness of life are stripped away from you and you hear his voice loud and clear in the center. And as we experience healing even in our brokenness, number three, and this is the big point, we're able to bring healing to others. Have you guys read your news feeds lately? This world is pretty broken, isn't it? What's God doing about it? What's God's plan for the brokenness we see all around us? I know, yeah, Jesus is coming one day to make all things new. Until then, what? What's his plan? His plan is us. His church mobilized and filled with his spirit, amen? Amen. Just as Jesus entered our mess and suffered alongside us, just as Jesus identifies with us in our brokenness, he calls us in our brokenness to identify with the pain of a broken world. The brokenness of our neighbors who are suffering injustice and racism and hate, God calls us to suffer alongside, to feel their pain not to just deny it or escape it or ignore it. The evil that people in this world are feeling every day, the brokenness of our political systems that, that marginalize people and leave starving people dying in a world where there's plenty of food, the brokenness of our social systems that leave lonely, hurting people, broken people, isolated, without love, and God calls us to do something about that, 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 that the mounting tension and, and the fear and the, the anger we all feel. The brokenness out there is the brokenness in here. What's our hope? Jesus came to do something about it. And he calls us to engage in that mission. When we identify with that brokenness, because we're broken, we realize that we need Jesus more than ever. We need him just as much today as we did the first time we realized we need him. And guess what our hurting world needs? Jesus in us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. John Piper explains how our brokenness is linked to, to this. And I love this quote. He says, since Christ is no longer on the earth, he wants his body, the church, to reveal his suffering in its suffering. Since we are his body, our sufferings are his sufferings. Our sufferings testify to the kind of love Christ has for the world. It's that song we just sang. Bear the cross, bear your cross as you wait for your crown. Tell the world of the treasure you found. Jesus is calling. Embrace your brokenness and, and lower your brokenness beneath your blessedness. Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial that comes. It's not that God is judging you. It's not that God hates you. He loves you. He's working something in it for your good and his glory. And lastly, if we can live our life as people who are taken and blessed and broken, then we can give ourselves. You and I are, are taken and we're chosen. We're, we're blessed and we're broken in order to be given. I, 
and this might be shocking to say, but you're not here for yourself. I'm not here for myself. And I'm here for you and you're here for me, but we're here for them. Amen? Your little life does not end the day you die. Your little life is a gift for the life of the world. Not only for your family and your friends, but for future generations and countless others who will come. Like Jesus, notice he never says, go be successful. But he does tell us to be fruitful, doesn't he? And you can't be fruitful without dying. Like Jesus in, in, in John 12 says this, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. There it is again. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. You remember the scripture we read at the beginning? The scripture where Jesus took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he multiplied it. There's this little boy who shows up and everybody's ignoring him. There's a great need. There's a little boy with uh, five loaves and two fish. But Jesus doesn't ignore him. Jesus draws him in and he takes the bread and he takes the fish and he blesses it and he breaks it and he gives it. And as he does, as it's given, it multiplies and it meets all the needs around it. And there's a truth in there for each one of us that as we allow our lives, as we see ourselves truly as those who have been chosen by God and, and, and blessed and broken so we can be given, that there's a multiplication that happens in our life. It will multiply not only in this life, but beyond. If, if you believe that you are called to give more and more of yourself, give, eventually giving your all, that, that you can actually become food and drink for the world. If you believe that, then you can trust that you will bear much fruit beyond your life. And the message here today isn't you've got to give and give away so that you can become the beloved. The message here is give because you already are beloved. Because Christ gave his all for you because you've been given everything you need. He's not running out of love. He's not running out of provision. The more you give, the more you'll find your life is poured into. And God will multiply and bless his work to you. I'm so glad that I can say to you today because I want, I want you to know that just as Jesus' death became fruitful for generations, anyone who lives as the beloved son and daughter of God can be sure your life will bear fruit for ages to come. And generations will call you blessed because of God's work in you. So realize that every bit of giving that you do is already part of your becoming fruitful while you live this life and believe that what God says over you, that you are his beloved, is, is, is truer than anything else. So in closing, your life and my life are taken, blessed, broken, and given. And I want to ask you to do something. I, as you go to bed tonight, I want you to pause and reflect over your day. That's one of the greatest things I have found on this sabbatical is what it's like to stop and think about what happened. I was talking about that last week, right, with the phone. You just ne we never pause and reflect, right? Just reflect on your day. How... How did this chosenness 
show up today? How was I blessed again today? How was I broken again today? How was I given again? And every time you recognize that, you recognize the kingdom of God breaking into your life. You'll recognize the presence of God at work in your heart, his spirit deep within your innermost being. And you will know that you are the beloved of God and that you are free to live and to love as you've been loved. Let's pray. Mm. Father, I pray that as we reflect on what it means to be chosen and blessed and, and broken and given, that we would see first and foremost that that's not a work of ours. It's not something we do. It's something you did on our behalf, that you were chosen of God and you were blessed to do things that at the time we couldn't do. And you were broken in a way that we couldn't be broken. And you were separated from the love of your father so that we could be brought near. And you experienced hell poured out on you on that cross so that we could experience eternal bliss and reconciliation with our father that we'd run so far from. That because of the gospel, we can, we can join in this work. We, we get to hear the voice of the father spoken over us. It says, you are my beloved daughter, my beloved son. I'm, I'm well pleased with you. Not because you've done everything so perfectly, but because you are mine and I love you and I've set my affection on you. And I pray that that would give us the strength to live this life you've called us to, a life that's chosen and blessed and broken and given for the life of the world. Long ago, St. Francis prayed a prayer. He said, Lord, make us instruments of your peace that where there's hatred in our world, let us sow love. Where there's injury, help us to, to sow pardon and mercy. Where people are struggling with doubt, help us to sow faith. Where people are in despair and lost, help us to bring them hope. Where there's sadness, help us to bring joy. Grant that we would not so much seek to be consoled as to console others not to be so understood as to understand others, not to be loved, but as to love others because it's in, the, it's in the giving that we receive. It's in the pardoning that we're pardoned and it's in the dying that we're born again to eternal life. So Father, as we come around this table today, I pray you'd help us to remember your son's work in our place and help us to enter into the life that your son lived for us. As his blood was poured out to cover our sins and his perfect life given for us so that we could be called righteous sons and daughters of God. Help us to come and feast on that and bring that truth deep within ourselves, And to bless one another with that truth. And to share in one another's brokenness. And so as a truth, church, to, as this body of, of believers to be given for this world. In Jesus' name, amen.